So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 80. Yeah. Psalm chapter 80. Totally not where I was going to go this week, which I love. At least on thir- by Thursday, I didn't think we were going to go here. <laughs> I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about this move God's doing because we have to just steady ourselves in the stream of what the Father's doing. Um, not steady ourselves in, in works and in self-effort, but steady ourselves in what He's told us to be steady in. And uh, it's a big difference. If you try to walk into a river yourself that's raging and you try to keep your balance, that river's going to knock you, knock you over. So maintaining your balance in the kingdom is not about maintaining your footing. It's maintaining your floating. You get in the kingdom, you let go. And you let the river take you where it wants to take you. What most people do is they step into a river of religion and they try to bind their feet to the bottom and try to hold on tight and make sure they are in the stream and they're the... And what they become is they become the gateway by which the kingdom must pass. You know what God said? Get in the river and float. Let it go. Because if you're in His river... You will experience things like you mentioned this morning. Your kids will all of a sudden begin to manifest things in the relationship with Jesus. Monica and Darren have talked about your kids even at four and two and, and, and hardly born. You know, they're, they're already, God's showing you things through your children at those ages. And our kids and your kids, everyone's kids. That's, so this is, this is beautiful to me. So think about this. On August 12th, the Lord told me to make this dec- dec- declaration. We are in the move of God. We're in the stream. It's a new thing. So don't remember former things. Don't try to compare it to former things. Don't try to even make it like former things. But be like the wind that you cannot perceive, but you can hear and therefore follow. And so that's the stream that we are living in. So that was on August 12th. Well, then the next week, God brought a word that was the wedding and the wine. That the cross of Jesus was really the wedding of of the Lord. That His miracle at Cana was a picture. It was Jesus manifesting in the prophetic realm what would happen to Him on the cross in Calvary. So at a wedding where the... Remember, the, usually they serve the good wine first, says the master of the, of the bride. However, you've chosen to save the good wine for the last. Why? Because the old covenant was the bad wine. The new covenant of grace is the good wine. And the separation was made at the cross where the wedding took place. He said He led a host of captives to captivity on His train when He ascended into the heavenly places. The wedding was completed and Jesus knew that. So the prophetic work there was new wine's going to come through Jesus on the cross. And He basically bought Himself a bride at the cross. So think about that. God says you're in the move. Then God says it's about a wedding. God says it's about His presence. And so this morning, the word He wants me to release over you is we are called to behold His face. Period. I'm not called to behold what you're doing in the kingdom of God. I'm called to behold His face. When I'm beholding His face, I'm not worried about what you're beholding. So I can't then become a gateway through which the kingdom has to come so I can judge you and then determine whether or not you are beholding His face. So what God is saying is, behold my face, you won't behold the faces of everybody in the room, and therefore, that is seeking first His righteousness and His kingdom, everything else will get added to you. You want to transform the room you live in? Behold His face. 
You want to transform your heart? Behold His face. You want to be made new? Behold His face. Spend time in the presence, in the face of the One. So think about what happened during worship this morning. Worship is happening and songs are being sung and people are praying in the Spirit and God is releasing something. And what, did, what does He say? Dave, why don't you just tell this story about your children having communion, which we're going to have communion this morning. And so there's communion in the back of the room about them beholding who? Jesus. Probably before they really ever had an encounter, a personal encounter with Jesus, he, didn't, he wasn't afraid to show up and go, Hi! He's not afraid. He's so big. He's so awesome. So we talk about it. Think about the other prophetic thing that's happening in the room. How many children are in here compared to how many adults? Probably equal. Wouldn't that make sense since Jesus said, let the children come to me when you're beholding my face, when the disciples wanted to shelter him from the distractions of the kids? He said, let them come. Let them be just as many that are children as are adults. (laughs) When he said to the adults, why don't you become like them? Because you can inherit the kingdom. You get it? So today's another, there's prophetic things God's doing in our midst. This is the move of God. This is a sign and wonder. The kids in this room are a sign and a wonder to what God wants to do in this move. Which is, the family is being entrenched in the worship of God. Even prophetically through our daughter Camilla. Who comes to me last night and says, I I feel like, can I release a song tomorrow morning? Yes, you can release a song. Why? Because the Spirit of God is entrenching all of us together as He's pouring His Spirit out on all flesh. Sons and daughters. Right? In Jesus, there's no Jew or Greek or woman or man or slave or free. All of a sudden, things are just starting to level out. And didn't he say, what did he he do? I will level the high places and I will bring the low places up. He's making the body of Christ really be the body of Christ. So think about it. We're going to behold his face today. So in Psalm chapter 80, this is what he says. I'm just going to hit a couple verses just for the sake of time because there's a lot of things I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to cover. Verse 1, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Who's he talking to? Jesus. Jesus. The psalmist is talking directly to Jesus, saying, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Look what he says in verse 2. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, by the way, do you know what those three people, those three tribes are? The sons of love. The sons of grace. Do you know that all ten of Jacob's other children were born in law? It was out of duty to Leah and duty to Leah's concubine. So every son, all ten, they represent the Ten Commandments. The ten sons of Jacob born under duty are the law. The only two that are born under love to Rachel. I'm getting it right, right? Is it Rebecca? Who's Isaac married... Right, Rebecca, Jacob, Major, so I'm right. Okay, thank you, Lord. All these R's and J, you know, you got to keep the lineage right. So think about it. Jacob gets lied to and has to marry an obligation, therefore has children out of obligation under the rules of his covenant. Ten of them are born. There's the law. Then he has Rachel who cannot bear. When in Isaiah he says, Blessed are the children of the barren one, for she will bring forth a greater offspring. Because why? It's his sons born of love. Joseph and Benjamin. The two sons born of love. If you study the life of Joseph, you'll see the life of Joseph is Yeshua. Redeeming 
the people. He's born in love and he goes to places he doesn't want to go, but he goes because he's always setting the agenda of God first. So he's a picture of Yeshua. Benjamin just shows up on the scene, doesn't really have to do anything, comes in as the younger brother of Joseph, which represents all of us, the age of Benjamin. Benjamin comes to the table and all of the sons are set in, out in order, right? Set the sons in order. The Ten Commandments set them in order. And then set Benjamin by me. Why? Because I'm giving him five times portion. Five, the measure of grace. Then I'm going to put a silver cup in Benjamin's bag and send him on his donkey and go. Why? Because silver is the redemption of God. Cup is what? The wine of God. And it's in his grain bag. Why? Because it's the bread of God. It's all there. It's all in the Scriptures. And God just concealed it so we could seek it out. Proverbs 25 too. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But it's the glory of kings for it to be revealed. Or to do business, as another translation says. So we're doing business in the Word of God this morning. And that's the move of God. He's saying, I want the whole family of God to know just how much I love you and how much grace I'm pouring out on you. So to behold the face of Jesus is every. Christian individual call. Let me tell you something. If you're not beholding the face of Jesus, you have no right speaking into the life of anyone else. That's true. I can prove it to you through the Scriptures. Even in Romans chapter 14 says, Now, don't judge one another anymore because you have to deal with the failings of the weak. Why? Because there's weak in the body of Christ whose faith have not come up to a revelation you have. But think about it. Your revelation is only dependent upon the grace of God which came from the opportunity God gave you and the faith to obey Him. So your individual walk is simply yours. Therefore, you can't look at anyone else in the body of Christ and judge them and declare them less than or greater than because we're all equal in Christ Jesus. So in the scriptures, what he's telling us is beholding the face will keep you from judging one another. Because here's the point. When I behold the face of God, I don't leave there thinking I'm better than you. You know what I leave there with? I think he's better than all of us. It's really I become focused on him. I become focused on the king of kings. And that's what he wants to behold his face, right? So in Psalm 80, he's saying before the sons of love in the Hebrew, there's a little phrase that doesn't get translated into English because there's no word. It's Aleph Tav. And then in Hebrew, it would be Et. So if you read this, it would be before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh, Et, stir up your might and come and save us. Aleph Tav is is Yeshua. He said, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. So Yeshua's name, Jesus, said, I'm the, Aleph and the, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. He spoke in Hebrew. I'm the Aleph and the Tav. So in this verse, you have, before these sons of love, Jesus, stir up your might and come and save us. From an old covenant guy in the temple, worshiping God is declaring what is to come. Isn't that awesome? You can't hear it. You don't have it because there's no English word to say it. Eh. I mean, it would sound silly, right? But it's it. Eh. It's, it's Jesus. So here's what he says. Watch this. Restore us, O God. This is ESV. Do you know that word in the Hebrew is shub? And that word is the closest word that Hebrew has to repentance. Metanoia in the Greek. So you know what he's really saying? Cause us to repent. O God. That's Elohim. Creator God. Cause us to repent. Here's how. Let your face shine that we may be saved. I want to point something out. In this verse, in the Hebrew, it begins with a yod. 
Okay, Yod is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That verse starts with the Yod, and it ends with a He, which will become significant in a moment. And this isn't a Hebrew class, but this is what the Holy Spirit showed me. He wants us to draw this thing out. So the Yod is the smallest mark in the Hebrew alphabet. Okay? The name Yahweh, which we can't say, which Barry the other night shared so beautifully with us, is Yod, He, Vav, He. Yod, He, Vav, He. This verse that says, we want to repent, O God, shine your face and you will restore us, you will save us, starts with the Yod and ends with the He. The same way His name starts with the Yod and ends with the He. That all of repentance and all of salvation is wrapped up in Him. So then we go on. So that's verse 3, and I'm, I love numbers. So that's 3. Then in 7, the same thing is repeated, but he adds something. He says, Restore us, again, Shub, repentance, O Elohim of Saboeth. You know what he just did? He ascribed more to God in this next statement. He said, You're not just creator. You're actually the God who rules angel armies. You're the God who rules all armies. You're the God with all victory. Cause us to repent, O God, who rules and reigns over all things. Right? How? Shine your face. Shine your face. Not shine my face. Don't lift me up. Right? How many times have you guys prayed this? I've prayed this. God, change me and I'll be a better vessel for you. God, shine my face and I won't struggle in the struggle I'm struggling anymore. God, make me this and then I won't have this. You know what he says? Behold my face and you won't have that. It's so simple, but it's, it's such a transition for my heart because my heart's like, well, God, if you just made me more patient, I wouldn't be so rude at home. He's not going to reach in me and go, click the patience knob down to a zero. He's going to stand in front of me and go, behold me. Behold me. And as he beholds me, the patient knob disappears. See, it's not about cranking you down. It's about causing you to no longer be affected by what you once were affected by. You actually get transformed. Not dialed down. See, what we think Christianity is about is dialing down the bad habits until we're at a suitable level we can maintain with one another. It's such a fault fallacy. God's about just reaching in your computer system and ripping every wire out until it's just a blank slate for His Holy Spirit to have complete control over you. Yeah. That's what it's all about. So Dan Muller said it before. He said some lady came to him and was like, will you pray with me? I know your prayers are answered and my husband's struggling and you know, let's just pray that he changes because he just knows how to push my buttons. And Dan Muller looks at her and goes, let's just pray that you go buttonless. <laughs> How about you don't have any buttons to push? Forget about what he's doing. Let's, let's just work on what the real issues are here. Why are your buttons getting pushed? Because you're not transformed into the kingdom of his glorious life. That's a hard word and a real word. It's a true word. And I've been praying that for myself. That's why my buttons have been getting pushed. I'm like, there's another button? God, come on. You know? How many buttons do I have? He's good at that. He'll reveal it quick. You know, like, I want to be, I want to be like you. He's like, okay. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> Come out from behind that cloud. Show me yourself again. You know, that's what I need. So here's what he's saying. God of hosts. So he's saying, Lord Sabot, let your face shine. Now down to verse 19. He ends it this way. He ends this 
that he's, he's making the dissertation about how the Israel has suffered. And in reality, mankind suffered until Yeshua came. Desperately. We needed Him. So, that's what really this picture of Psalm 80 is. And at verse 19, He says this, Cause us to repent, or let us return, O Lord. Restore us. Now He says, Yahweh. Now He breathes the name of God into this very same sentence. Elohim Saboeth. He's causing this thing to get bigger and bigger on the God side. Do you see that? So as though he goes through the psalm, he's not saying, I have to be better and bigger. He's saying, you are better and you are bigger. So here's what's happening. Think about this. Asaph, sitting in the Holy of Holies, before the presence of God, this is coming out of him. That's where these psalms were written. They weren't written at him in his tent, hanging out with somebody, hoping that he came up with a good thing. He sat before the presence of the Almighty when he said, You're, what did he just say? You are enthroned on the cherubim. Where's the cherubim? Top of the mercy seat. Where's he standing? He's standing before the Ark of the Covenant in the very presence of the living God. And he's saying, sons of love, stir up yourself. Cause us to be saved. Bring us repentance. Why? Because God is downloading through him, through his presence, the story of redemption for mankind. And he is saying it's coming through Yahweh. It's coming from your Creator. The one who is the Lord over all things. And the Lord over all armies. So you have nothing to fear. Asaph is getting a heavy dose of repentance himself in the chapter. That's why he starts out saying Elohim. Middle says Elohim of hosts. And the end says Yahweh. Yahweh. See what happens in the presence of God? You come in with a complaint and you leave with how big and how awesome he is. That's beholding the face, right? So this is so cool to me because I want to talk to you about the name Yahweh. And it's so fitting that I didn't even know I was going here, literally. And I was going somewhere else and the Holy Spirit brought me back. So what did I say the name of of Yahweh was? That's God's name. When He said, I am that I am, He declares in Genesis chapter 2, He says, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, right? Dave, so that is... Yod He Vav He. So, the Hebrew is awesome. It's written backwards. Okay? So it goes from your right to your left as you would read it. God's name, Yod. Yod is the smallest particle of anything that can ever be communicated. Think of it that way. Meaning, the moment my pen touches my paper... It's Yod. The last moment my pen leaves my paper, that's Yod. So it's the smallest way that you could ever communicate, which speaks of the humility of God. That He's willing to have His name start with the smallest mark of any possible human communication. So He's humble in, in who He is in the Yod. It also represents it's the beginning of all things. So you would be impossible for you to communicate without a yod. Which means it'd be impossible for you to live without a yod. Because we were made to be relational. We were made to be communicating. So just in this one tiny little mark, the yod, here's the other interesting part. It represents the number 10. God is a God of numbers. If you've read your Bible, you know that. The number 10 represents government. So here's what God's name starts with. Smallest mark, greatest humility, starts with the government of God. 
That's what his name starts with. He's the ruler. Nobody else is the ruler. Nobody else has a say. No one can come in and go, God, I have, an ad- I have some advice for you. I think you should expand the Atlantic Ocean. I think you should pour down some hail over here. I think you should do this. I think you should do that. When God has made declarations and determinations for the signs, He says in Isaiah, Who is man? Has anybody ever instructed me? Is anyone wiser than I? So His government rules, okay? But His government doesn't rule with authoritarianism. His government rules in permissive will, which is hey. The next letter of His name. Hey is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Five is the number of grace. The hey is also the divine breath of God. So the hey represents God's over humanity. Barry talked about it on Thursday night, right? He said he breathed into man. What did he breathe into him? Grace. Man doesn't deserve to live. Man doesn't deserve have rights. Man isn't, man isn't the one who has the first priority. God has first priority. Grace says live. You know what grace says today to the guys at MS-13 who are murdering, raping, and destroying other people? God's grace says, live. And we don't like that as a church. You know why? We want to we crucify people because we want to throw them down. What they're doing, 100% wrong. But who they are, 100% savable as long as the day is called today. Amen. So we make no excuse for behavior, but we also don't destroy people for the sake of the ones Christ died to save. Do you get that? So his hay breathes over, and this is, this is so cool. Hay is also with divine light. <laughs> because it, light is mentioned five times in the first verses of Genesis in the creation account. So hay represents divine breath of God, the light of God, and the grace of God. Think about that. So the government of God through humility is going to come through grace... Vav, what do you think Vav represents? Man. Vav even looks like a man. Vav is the sixth number in the Hebrew alphabet. What's the number of man? Six. So Vav is in the middle of God's name between, it's Yod, He, Vav. And this is really cool. And I learned this reading something from uh, Hebrew for Christians, which I encourage you to do. But the Vav in Numbers chapter 25 and verse 12 is written uniquely as it's not written in other places in the scriptures because Phinehas, remember, goes in and what does he do? He atones for the people through destroying those who were whoring in the tents in Israel. Do you remember the story? They just, right, right in the face of the leaders of Israel, they just went into their tent to have their little party. And Phinehas walks in there with a spear and stabs them both through with the spear into the ground to destroy them. And the Lord says, He this day has atoned for the people, therefore his generation shall be priests unto God the Most High. In that word, in in Numbers chapter 25 and verse 12, he finishes the sentence with shalom. There's a vav in the middle of shalom, and the vav is written broken. Here's what he's saying. When Phinehas pierced the people to the dirt, they were atoning for all of Israel. When Jesus became the broken vav, the humanity 
of God, he wrote it in the Hebrew Scriptures in Numbers chapter 25 and 12, said, your shalom will come through a broken man. It will be pierced through his transgressions. How crazy God is. He's awesome. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean He's awesome. He's mind-blowing to me. Check this out. In the Bible, it, here's why I love the Bible. People are like, well, that boring book of this and that boring. I'm just like, I just want to take my Bible sometimes and be like, I love you. You know, like, this thing is awesome from the front to the back, you know. That's my self-righteousness. I repent in Jesus' name. But I say this because I love the Bible. So they get to generations, right? So they read about the generation. It's like so-and-so begat so-and-so. And I can't pronounce half the so-and-sos. And I, you know, it's just, God, am I learning anything? I want to tell you right now, yes. Yes. Yes, why? All scriptures breathed by God. So you know what he's doing? Read the generations and hear. <sighs> he's breathing on you while you read the generations. He's breathing on you. You don't understand it. It doesn't matter. Your spirit will pick it up. He's that big. Your brain may be. And he's not affected by that. He's just going to be like. <sighs> right in your spirit. One day you're going to be like, wait a second. I remember in this. There's this guy named Hep, he says, and he had this and that, and I saw it in this generation. And God's like, huh, see, I wrote it in your heart, and it's coming out of your mouth. Do you get it? So this is so cool to me, because in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible talks about the generations of the hosts of heaven that were created by God. And in that word, the vav is included, representing the fullness of man in the hosts of the heavens. In the creation account, man was made perfect with God. Do you know what every generation from Genesis 2-4 until Ruth chapter 4 and verse 18, the Vav is excluded from the exact same word? Because humanity fell and the man fell out of the generations because the perfection of man came when it says through Perez, the generations of Perez. How did that happen? He was the one who breached out, remember, and satisfied the breach and therefore through the generations of Perez, Perez became Meshach, Messiah. See, God restored the Vav into the word generations at Ruth 18 when he said, through Perez, all of this will be accomplished and Yeshua will come forth. How amazing! So he leaves it left out of your Bible from, from Genesis 2-4 to Ruth chapter 4-18 to say to us, you cannot do it without him. You have no generation without him. You have no generations without the one who is perfect. And so this is beholding the face. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to go there. Man, I love the word. Thank you, Jesus. I just get so fired up. I'm sorry I get so crazy toward you guys, but I just can't. I should probably run a few miles before I come in here in the morning because I get, I really do get so fired up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Amen. Come on. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter 3. So we just touched on this. But, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit, and I, I never want to say Paul said it because he didn't. It was breathed by the Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit says to us this. He says that people are the letter. They're written on their hearts. It's not written on stone anymore. It says that the ones that were written on stone for you to try to follow them is a ministry of death. It will kill you. So if you try to follow the law, you will die. And even though you can be saved, you can be standing condemned just like Peter was. 
because here's what happened. The Apostle Paul came back and Peter in Galatians, he sees the Apostle Paul with a bunch of Gentiles and he's just moving in grace and he's moving in grace. And then the brothers show up and what does Peter do? He recedes back into law quickly so that he's with now his Jewish brothers. And the Apostle Paul comes to him and says, he stood condemned. Not because Paul who preaches there's no condemnation for those in Christ. Paul didn't condemn him. He said he retreated to the law and he stood in that place condemned. I pointed it out to him. That's what Paul's saying. Paul didn't ever come to Peter and go, you're condemned, you're following the Jewish way. He came and said, man, you've retreated into the law, you're standing condemned before God. Come out from there because you know better, you know grace is now the, the only way for you. Do you get that? So, this is what he's saying. It's a ministry of death. Verse 7 says, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face. What was brought up in worship this morning? Carlos, you brought up Moses' face. Dave, you brought up Moses' face. Why? Because Holy Spirit knew we were going to 2 Corinthians 3. And he says this, it's because of the glory which was being brought to an end. In law, Moses' face shined. Why? Because the law is holy and just and righteous and pure. But there's a better way. That's why the old was put away. Hebrews chapter 10 says that. The better way was brought through Christ. See, the law was given through Moses. This is in John chapter 1. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. So grace and truth come in. Now look at what he says in verse 12. Since we have such a hope. You guys have hope this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Ha ha. We're very bold. We're very bold. You know why people in the body of Christ are not bold? They don't have any hope. Nobody's told them the good news. Nobody's declared to them the truth and the realities of the grace of God and the position they are as sons and daughters. They don't have the hope, so they don't have any boldness. You don't, need to give, you don't have to give programs for people to have more boldness. You don't need an evangelical program. You know what you need? Bring them back to the foot of the cross to behold the face of Jesus. The more they behold the face of Jesus, the bolder they get. That's it. If we would just bring people to the face of Jesus over and over and over and over, drink from the well, drink from the well, drink from the well, seek his face. That's why Moses is so beautiful. Uh, That's why Moses actually withdrew to a place outside the camp of Israel because the camp of Israel was defiled. God said, there are stiff-necked people and they're defiled. I'm going to destroy them. Moses said, hold on. Let me get outside the camp. Pitch a tent. I'm going to get in this place with you, Jesus. Here's Here's where God and I need to have communication. God came down and dwelled like a cloud in front of him. Here's the beauty of that. Our camps can't get defiled anymore because the defilement has been put on Jesus Christ. All defilement has been put on Jesus Christ for the body of Christ. You know what that means? No church where Jesus is preached and lifted up and believed in is defiled any longer. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's grace. That means not that this is a liberty to do whatever we want to do ever. If you ever walk away from the understanding of grace, feeling like you can do whatever you want to do, you have been perverted, deluded, and deceived. 100%. I'll just say that. If you leave any time that grace has been lifted up, Jesus has been lifted up, and you think you have the liberty to to satisfy the desires of the flesh, you are deluded, deceived, and perverted. Because real grace lifts Him up so much that it causes you and sin to fall off. I don't even have to sit there with the scissors anymore and be like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I can just be like, I love you. And it goes. Do you get it? So behold, this is what he's called us to. So he says this. 
We are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Here's where mercy and compassion are so incredible for the body of Christ. The Orthodox Jewish people are still in a covenant with God. And God's desire for them is to have them receive Yeshua HaMashiach. To understand Messiah. To understand who He is and to have a revelation of who He is. Their, their minds are hardened today in the same way so that as Moses is read, so here's what can be done as the body of Christ. Father, remove the veil. Father, pierce the veil. Father, tear the veil. Father, bless them so they can see and understand and hear. That's our prayer should be for the Jewish people around the world. Because he he's never going to let them disappear from the face of the planet. Ever. He said, I made a covenant with them and the sun rises, they're here. But it's his heart that none should perish and everyone should come to everlasting life. There's only one way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. If all Israel is going to be saved, they can only be saved through Yeshua. That's it. So our prayer should be, God, save Israel. And Father, I pray that right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we just ask, God, in this moment of faith, we say that we want to see the Israeli people come to know you as Messiah. We pray for Benjamin Netanyahu and all of the cabinet and all of the house and all of the leaders, God, that are in the nation. We pray in Jesus' name for a mighty outpouring of your spirit. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would make himself known, that you, would, Yeshua, would appear to people and reveal yourself. Come off the pages of Isaiah 53, God. Come off the pages of Isaiah 52, God. Come off the pages of the Tanakh and of the Torah. Come off those pages and declare, breathe hay over their hearts. Breathe hay. Awaken them and revive them and release your spirit on them, Jesus. Father, we bless you and we thank you, God, for all you are saving and all you are doing, Lord. It is our heart to be joined to your heart. In the name of Yeshua. So he says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil's removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom. You know what that freedom is? To walk in that river and not try to keep your footing. You know what that freedom is? To stand in the face of your greatest failure, to look at heaven, behold His face, and say, I may have failed this moment, but I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that, that sin has no power over me because of the blood that has made my, my position with you secure. That's freedom. That's freedom that we can walk in. Continually walk in that freedom. He says this. This is where I was going. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you're going to behold the Lord's glory, what are you going to be looking upon? His face. If I told you to close your eyes right now and to picture your wife or your husband, what are you going to picture? Their face. If I had to close my eyes and they said, picture Jordan, I'm not going to picture my wife's hands cooking a meal at a stove. I'm not going to picture her running to the grocery store and getting me some provision. I'm not going to picture her in the things she does. I'm going to picture her face. See, that's what intimacy is all about, face to face. Why do you think we kiss one another when we're in a covenant, when we're in a relationship, when we're in an intimate place? 
Kissing is face to face. It's the closest you can get. See, when Moses was beholding the face of God, it was as though they were kissing. Why do you think Psalm 2 says, kiss the son? Lest he become angry. And in a moment his fire be kindled. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, this is an intimate thing. Some of us have issue with that, but I don't. I have no issue with calling Jesus my bridegroom. I have no issue with telling him that I'm his bride. Why? Because I don't have a perverted mind that thinks about it only in the realm of sexuality and the perverse way that the world wants to think. I think of it in the way of a bridegroom who cares for his bride and sacrifices himself and loves to every degree and makes me a bigger and better person simply by the love he extends to me. That's being a bride. And so in this relationship to be holding his face, it's the calling and it has to be first above everything else. It has to be. This move of God, if it's really about a wedding, is really about beholding His face. You said it last week, Dave. You were praying, and in your prayer, you heard yourself maybe whining a little bit. And who showed up? I'm telling you. I was, uh, you know, I was. I was. We have friends, and they're, you know, they're facing challenges, and their lives are in distress. And these are people that love God. And some of these situations have gone on for decades. So I thought I was, you know, I thought I was releasing blessing and 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 saying to the Lord, you know, Lord, come and do something, change this somehow. And uh, I mean, in a in a moment of time, bang! I am standing in front of the Son of God, and I have never seen Him this way before. And he was sitting on this, it was a throne of governing authority. Mm. I've, you know, I've seen Jesus uh, numerous times, uh, and I know him well as the gentle shepherd, and I love him as the gentle shepherd, and I need him as the gentle yes. shepherd. And, but that's not who this was. Uh, he was the lion and not the lamb. Mm. And he was dressed in red from head to toe. And I mean, he was all business. And and everything about him was related to governing authority. I mean, there was a piercing fire in his eyes. And I'm standing there, and I'm in stunned amazement because I, you know, in my interaction with heaven, I've never seen Jesus this way before. Hmm. And he's looking right at me. And he takes his hand, and the palm, the palm of his hand is wide open, and he and he goes like this. He he motions toward himself, and he said, "Look at me." Mm. And and then a moment or two went by, and he did exactly the same thing again. He took his hand, palm open, motioned toward himself, and he said, "Look at me," mm. and uh, and he was gone. And so it's it's the message that Justin is releasing this morning that that you know do not focus on what seems to not be working or what hasn't happened yet you know yes. don't focus there in some kind of a negative way but look at Jesus because mm. everything I mean, He has accomplished it all and He did it prior to the foundations of the earth. I mean, His work, His death on the cross was fully accomplished according to what the Bible says prior to the foundations of the earth. 
And so his work is done. He is seated at the right hand of God until such time as his enemies are made a footstool at his feet. And so we just, I mean, by looking at him, this process of transformation uh, takes place and things get done that we couldn't accomplish on our best day ever. Amen. Amen. That's good See, so it's, he will write your perspective. That's the whole thing. He's like, be beholding his face, if you get into a realm that's not really where he wants you, he'll come and he'll write you. You know, and that's what it really takes for the body of Christ to love each other, is to really trust the Holy Spirit can communicate with Dave Fahidi and he can communicate with Camilla and he can communicate with Dave Dugan. See, no one had to come into Dave Dugan's closet prayer time and be like, hey, brother, you're whining. Your prayer, that's a, that's a whiny prayer. No one had to do that. Why? Because the Spirit of God has a relationship with him. When the Spirit of God wants to bring it to him, the Spirit of God shows up and goes, look at me. Right? So that's, the, that's what we're walking in is a move of God where, what is it about? His face shining. Can we maintain a gaze? See, that word actually in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, to behold, is not take a quick look. What that, what that is, is fix your gaze. Your gaze has to be fixed. You know what that means? That means, and, and I, want to, I want to draw this picture for you because here's what the Levites were called to do. Go into the temple and minister before God, right? So if they're ministering before God, think about this. Who's their inheritance? What's their inheritance? Your inheritance shall be me. That's what he said. He didn't say, you guys are going to have this inheritance and that land and this city and those things. So think about this. The inheritance for the Levite, the priest, who we are priests unto God, the inheritance was God Himself. So if they're in a temple in the Holy of Holies, worshiping before the Lord, and they keep turning around to look out the door of the temple, concerned about their tent, their friends, the things that are going on with the other Levites, how much are they actually then focused on the inheritance of God in whom they have been given? Do you get it? So when you lose your gaze on Jesus and become concerned about what's outside the door of your worship place, you have actually lost your gaze and you begin to lose your power. So your gaze is connected to your power in Christ. When I mean power, I mean your anointing. I mean the ability for you to walk in a room and change the atmosphere because Christ in you is the hope of glory. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to walk in with knowledge and words and I got a prophetic word and I got this and I got... Walk in the room with Him and you'll change the atmosphere. Because what? He's in me. He's with me. He's always there. So I want my focus on Him to be so much so that I'm not even talking about room somewhere else. I'm talking about your living room. How about when you want to get in the soul man and you want to be frustrated and angry, get your gaze on Jesus and let the room's atmosphere change. See, it's every room. It's not just, we, we go for the religious rooms. Like, I want Jesus to be known when I walk in a room of a bunch of people who know what Christianity and power is all about. How about in your bedroom with your wife when you want to be mouthy and angry and frustrated? Now your gaze is a little bit messed up. And that's, my, that's a word to me because I'm telling you, I want to walk where my gaze is fixed so that I am not swayed like a wave tossed to and fro. And so... He says this in Psalm 80, restore us, repent us, cause us to repent, O God, cause us to repent, O God of hosts, cause us to repent, Yahweh, God of hosts, 
How? Shine your face. Matthew 17 and verse 2. Jesus went to the top of a mountain and the Bible says His face shone like the sun. God doesn't do things randomly. He declared it in Psalm 80 and He's going to fulfill it in His Son on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, here's your redemption. Here's your redemption. Here's who it is. And what does He say? Peter wants to declare, oh God, it's good for us to be here. And God interrupts him. (laughs) Boom, thunder comes and he says, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when Peter and James and John got back back up off the ground, Elijah and Moses were gone. Why? Because the law came through Moses and it's passed away. The prophets passed away because a new covenant is here. You don't have to listen to the prophets declaring what the law said. You have to listen to Yeshua. So Elijah and Moses are pushed away. Why? Peter wanted to put them all three on the, same, on the same level. Say, let's make a tabernacle for Jesus. Let's make a tabernacle for Elijah. Let's make a tabernacle for Moses. Why? Because Jesus is equal with Elijah and Moses. Because Elijah and Moses are the highest things we know about God. God said, crush those. It's only Jesus. He's the only one you need to listen to. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to the Son who declares to us these new things. So His face is shining like the sun, and he comes down, and immediately what does he do? He casts demons out of people. And who couldn't? The disciples, who are given authority to cast demons out of people. So in that power, in that presence, so in John chapter 4, I'm just tying a lot of stuff together, but I just want to draw this out. John chapter 4, Jesus does his second sign as recorded by John the Apostle. His first sign was done where? Cana. The name means the place of the reed. Jesus knew the scriptures that said, a broken, a bruised reed you will never break. Right? So in the place of the reed, he does what? A wedding. We talked about it last week, which represents the wine of the new covenant of grace. His second sign, Jesus goes back to Cana to do his sign, second sign at the very place he did his first sign, which was a prophetic picture of the cross. So think about it. Jesus, nothing's an accident in the kingdom. Nothing's an accident in scripture. He's in Cana. And here's what the Bible says. A, a biklios or a kingly official has a son that's sick. And then when the Bible says in Greek, the word for sick is actually weak in the flesh to the point of death. So a kingly official has a son who's weak to the point of death, knows that Jesus is in Cana, the place of the reed, so he quickly sends to go to Jesus because he believes he can heal him. Jesus says to him, you guys seek a sign and a wonder. And he's, he doesn't say anything. And then Jesus looks and says, go, your son will live. The kingly official leaves. He meets his servants halfway in this journey from Capernaum to Cana. And as the journey, he meets them and they say, your son is recovering. And here's, here's what he says. At what hour? God is so specific. He said this, it was the seventh hour. And the kingly official knew at that seventh hour that it was the moment Jesus said, go, your son will live. So I just want to, maybe, maybe this is what God was doing in that, in that sign. There was a man who one day would need to know in the seventh hour that he would live. There was a man who needed to know that in my seventh hour, I will live. And it was Yeshua Himself. Because when He went to that cross, He was on that cross, and at the sixth hour, the darkness fell. 
Because the Father had separated himself from Jesus. And through a prophetic declaration of Jesus' own mouth, he says on the seventh hour, your son will live. Because as he hung on a cross, two hours to go before he would pass away, he needed to know that he would live because he was the son of the kingly official. Do you see how God weaves into all of these scriptures the realities of who Jesus really is? And this is the power of us beholding His face. Because when you behold the face of the King, Jesus, He suddenly gives you keys to the kingdom. And I want to give you a key to your kingdom. His kingdom in you today. You are a prophetic declaration today of your survival tomorrow. Those things you will declare and prophesy today will become your ability to withstand the onslaught of the enemy in a tomorrow season. Jesus made it very clear that when I declare the things that God has done for me, right? What I say, that shall I have. He said it in in Matthew and in Mark. He said, whatever you say, that you shall have. Three times in one scripture. He said, what you say, what you say, what you say, those are the things you will have. And so for us in our, in our journeys, here's the deal, guys. Someday, you may have struggles financially. So you know what you should do today? Prophesy and praise Jesus for the successes financially He's always made for you in the past. Why? Because you're prophesying to your future destiny and you're saying over yourself in the future, I don't have much now, but there was a day when Jesus provided all that I needed. Therefore, He will provide all that I need now. It's prophetic declarations out of our own mouths. And a lot of times it will come when you do it for someone else. That's why the the gift of prophecy is so important. But it's also why it so vitally should be held in such honor that there would be integrity in the prophetic words. We shouldn't have just people running, running off at the mouth. I got a word for you. 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 Yeah, so does devil. Devil's got a lot of words for us too trying to convince us of a lot of stuff. And I, but I'm not going to stop prophesying because the devil can pervert it. And I'm not going to stop reading my scriptures because I can prophesy. I need them both. I need the scriptures so I can behold his face so that beholding his face, he says to me, declare this over this man. Declare this over this woman. Why? Because I've been in his face. I heard what he said. And now I'm going to return to the Word of God. And I need someone to prophesy to me because I need the Word of God as it's living and active within me to also then be confirmed. Because why? He knows that I'm dust. He knows that I'm weak and I'm frail. He knows what I can't take anymore. And this is where it all came from. That Psalm 80, do you know why God reveals Himself as the Lord Saboeth? It's when you can't take anymore. It's when you can't take it any longer. When you don't think you can take another step, He shows up as Lord Saboeth. He shows up as the king of the angel armies who says, I've already won this. I'm already your strong tower. I'm already that that you can run into. In your death, in your struggle, in your, in your grief, in your position. Right now, I am the one who's conquered everything. So you can run into me. So that's where we can repent. That's why we can turn from where we're headed and go back to where he is. Because his face is shining. Think about that. The lighthouse on the rocks. Why is the lighthouse there? Keep the ships from smashing on the rocks. That's why Jesus shines his face. Because sometimes it feels a little cloudy, a little misty, a little bit difficult to see the way. And there's Jesus like a beacon. His face is shining like the sun. And he's saying, look at me. Look at me. If you'll look at me, none of this will matter. 
I'll keep your ship from crashing on the rocks. And I just want to make that as a declaration over us as a body, at a larger body of Christ, that the move of God in this, in this generation, Lord, is not going to crash on the rocks. This is a move of our generation where our faces will be fixed. Our gazes will be fixed upon you, Jesus. We want to be fixed upon you, Jesus, 24 hours a day, God. Mark this move. Mark it. Mark it, God, by the fact that we do not turn our faces one to another, that we do not bite one another, backbite one another, harm one another, God. Mark this move of God that we build one another up, that we edify one another, that we encourage one another, that we grow in our faith in the glory of God. Mark this generation. Mark this move, God, that we would live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and fear with reverence in respect to who you are and who we are in the general and the body of Christ. Let none of us honor ourselves above one another, but let us owe no one else the debt of anything but of love that you would make us the love of christ god make us the love that you are in this earth if you'll do that god if you will do that we will become what you have always dreamed that we should become even as we are becoming that even as we are living it right now right now god i sense your pleasure over us right now i sense your pleasure over each person in this room from the littlest to the biggest to the oldest smallest doesn't matter everyone in between god I see the pleasure you have for those who will simply trust in you, worshiping you at your feet. We bless you right now, Father. We bless you. We just declare we're going to look at you. And we know you're looking at us. Just please help us to maintain the gaze, God. When our faith grows weak, give us faith, God. Help us to fight the good fight of faith, God. Give us brothers and sisters who will just grab us by the arms, Lord, and Lock arms, link up, God, as a family should link up. Be so interwoven, God. I just want to bless the, the churches in this valley right now, God. I just bless all of these fellowships in this valley that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We bless these families, Lord. We bless the, the houses of worship. We bless the, the leaders, God, that you've called and you've set apart and you've chosen in this season. We just bless the Pursuit Church, God. We just pray over Jeff and Stacy right now, Lord, that your spirit will just rush in upon them, God, as you continue to do a mighty